Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. I'm your host, Andy Sitto. My guest today is Los Angeles-based uh, singer, songwriter, composer, and producer, Abby Posner. Hey folks, I hope you're doing well. It's great to be in the thick of season four, episode three officially of the new season, uh, episode 86 in total, well on our way to 100. Uh, so I, the, my story of meeting Abby, um, I, I met her digitally, or not digitally, what do you say? I met her cyberly, um, but I met her through um, Luis Baker and Bruce Swan, um, who have a, a booking agency called Baker Booking, and Bruce does a radio show called Music My Mother Would Not Like, um, which, I, which I was on a few weeks ago. And they're based in Asheville, North Carolina. When I was out on the road uh, touring on my new record this summer, I had a day off. I didn't actually have a gig in Asheville, but I had a day off, and I've always wanted to go to Asheville. So I, I went. Um, I parked my van. I went to a couple of the breweries on the main drag there, and then I walked over and saw an Asheville tourist game. Had a great time. And then I called Luis. Um, we'd, we chatted on the phone a couple times prior to me going to Asheville, and she said, hey, we're going over to the guitar bar. Meet us over there. We'll have a drink and, and hang out. So I did. Um we had a wonderful conversation there, and then they were kind enough to invite me into their home uh, to sleep for the evening, and uh, I, I got to crash on uh, Bruce's couch in the in his studio there where he does his show, and very very grateful uh, to them for that, and uh, became pals became pals with them, and uh, Luis sent me uh, her artist roster for her agency, and I was looking through and listening to some of the artists, and I loved everything. Um, and Abby, uh, her music popped out to me immediately, her voice, her playing. Um, she plays tons of instruments. She plays banjo very well, plays guitar very well. Um, and I immediately thought, okay, this would be a great interview. And I, I looked into her music further. And then I, I, you know, as I was looking at her website and digging in even more, I noticed that she's a composer. She writes music for sync. She's basically, um, she's basically who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> um, Actually, we're only a few years apart, so I'm kidding. But she's doing so many great things. She's well-established in so many different facets of the music industry. And I think that's that's so, so cool. And that's what we're all as musicians doing is we're dipping our feet into a lot of different things. Um, and we found out, too, that she grew up um, very close to where my fiance Ali, and I live now. So uh, fun fun coincidence there. But she's been in L.A. for about 20 years. She's got her group that she plays with, uh, Abby and the Myth, also just as Abby Posner. And I'm quoting a little bit. I'm paraphrasing from her bio now. Um, she went to Cal Arts after high school. She went to um, she went to high school here in Lakewood, Colorado, and then went to Cal Arts and uh, has composed music for commercials, TV, films, and radio shows all over the globe, including Old Fashioned, The Fosters, This American Life. Side note, I love This American Life. I listen every week. The Art of More, uh, and Last Tango in Halifax, uh, just to name a few. She was also uh, has music placed in commercials and TV shows all over China, Sweden, the UK, and Australia. Posner appeared in two episodes of Glee in season four playing banjo and guitar, and the freeform show Famous in Love playing banjo. 
She's also scored four films, Across Land, Across Sea, Through Their Eyes, the award-winning short animation Elizabeth Sees, and in 2020, she completed the score for feature doc Lady Buds. I watched the trailer for that before our interview. Um, it's about Bud. Well, and, and, other, and other things too, but it's, uh, I think it's worth checking out. I'm excited to see the full film. It just came out. It's in select theaters around the country, and it, is, uh, it, was, it came out for the Denver Film Festival, and it can also be streamed, I think, on, uh, she mentions in the interview, I think, on Amazon Prime in uh, a couple other spots. So that's up and out there, and the uh, soundtrack for that will be coming out next year too. So she did the soundtrack. She did, you know, she wrote parts, uh, played, played the instruments, mixed it, engineered it, produced it, did all of that. Um, and she also, she just came out with an album um, on her own. She's done a bunch of uh, albums as uh, Abby and the Myth and as Abby Posner. And uh, Kisby Ring came out in November. There's some singles off that. It's a really, it's a great record, and I suggest checking it out. There's a link in the show notes um, to her Spotify. Oh, and also, as we were talking at the end and, and a little bit during the interview, she has an album that she only put out on Bandcamp. Um, and it's just her and a a string quartet, which is which I love. I just think that's about the coolest thing ever. It's called Return by Abby Posner featuring Quartet. And there's a link for that in the show notes as well. I'm not going to chat too much. I'm ready to jump in to our conversation. It's a great conversation. I just want to give a very quick thanks to our sponsors. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, you can go to pqmastering.com. Also, Narrator Music for simple and affordable licensing for sync. And now you can find uh, some of my little jingles on that website as well. Go to uh, narratorrf.com. If you'd like to support this podcast in a monetary way, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sitto. I put up episodes a little early a lot of times on there. I also put up exclusive content, songs, production videos, whatever of my own stuff. Um, I'm a musician, um, teacher, composer, producer, and uh, yeah, I just put up content from uh, from my stuff up on there. So if you'd like to help out in a monetary way, I'd appreciate it so much. In a non-monetary way, you can help out as well, and I'd be equally as grateful. Give this podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let's jump into the show. That's going to help me out later. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Abby Posner, thanks for joining me. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. I'm really, really happy to be here with you. We just chatted a little bit before I pressed record and found out that you went to high school pretty much right down the street from where I'm living now. And and I I try to go in somewhat chronological order with these things. So um, how, where were you when you were a kid and how did you first get into music? So I, yeah, I actually went to school in, uh, in Denver, in Lakewood, about a few miles from you at Jefferson County Open School. I commuted from Evergreen, which is about an hour drive each way. Um, my dad was working at the school at the time, and um, it is a very, uh, it's an experiential learning school. So it's, it's, a, it's not your traditional setting of um, 
grades and text like being nose to the textbook. We did a lot of service work and traveling. And um, I at a really young age, I I think I was about in second grade um, at a very traditional school. Um, and it wasn't for me. And my dad made sure that I got out of there really fast and was able to explore my creativity at open school. I was able to. Uh, you know, travel to different countries and develop, you know, my emotional skills and my communication skills, which I think is really important in education. I know this isn't a podcast about education, but it certainly helped me along my journey as a musician to go to go there. Yeah. Well, and what what is an open school by by definition? So there's only one open school, but there's a lot of models kind of popping up all over the U.S. You can kind of look at it as, as a Montessori type or mm. um, the, I think it's with the Waldorf schools, uh, charter schools are kind of close to it. Basically, open school itself is based on um, experiential learning, compassion, communication, um, you, there were six things that we had to complete before we graduated high school called passages. Um, mm. one of which was a create creativity passage. And that was where I was able to go take college classes of music theory. Um, I did an adventure passage, which was actually about me coming out as a young, as a young kid in the nineties, mm. um, logical skills, uh, you know, continuing my theory practice. And so we were able to really focus on what we wanted to do rather than what we were kind of schools are forced you to do. <laughs> yeah. And I was never great at like at math. I was never great at the more academic stuff. I, I've always been an artist through and through. So the so this platform was able to really help me um, focus on on my creativity. That's really cool. And your dad was working there. Yeah, he was actually the dean, and it's a really small school, so everybody kind of saw me as like Rick Posner's daughter when I was there. I was I was definitely in his shadows, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was not delightful at the time. Um, but he, I'm grateful for him because he he really opened the door for me to get in there, and he's such a smart smart teacher, smart father. Like it was actually a really good experience overall but i avoided taking classes from him i was like oh no i don't want to take classes from my dad yeah yeah you know, i was i was like a teenage kid and now looking back i wish he did like mississippi river trips to the south he would take kids um to to the gaza strip back in the what? day to cuba i mean like oh we did my crazy yeah we did some crazy stuff and I kind of wish that I went with him to some of those school trips, but I, I didn't want people to just see me as Rick Posner's daughter. I wanted people to just see me as an individual. So Yeah, yeah. When did, did that affect your social life at all, um, you know, in the cafeteria, knowing that your dad was the dean? Yeah, it, it did. Well, we were called um, staff kids because there were a lot of us actually that had parents working at the school because it really is like a close-knit family yeah. so that's what the kids we were called staff kids um and I think you know it really I was I was able to break free from that and and make my own friends in my own community but definitely there would be a little minor bullying in the halls of like oh Rick Posner's daughter you know yeah and it was um people thought that I got special privileges and you know it's it it was <laughs> it was a tricky thing to navigate but overall I, I wouldn't take it back because the school is amazing 
Yeah. Oh, that's 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 really awesome. And were you already into music at that point? Did that come at an earlier age? Yes, I was. I was also into musical theater, so I, I did like a lot of a lot of theater at the school, mm-hmm. and I did a summer camp that was really uh, in Steamboat Springs called Perry Mansfield. I don't know if you've heard of that, no. but it's uh, every summer I went there, and that was really strong theater focus. Um, yeah. So I kind of had a little bit of a what do I want to do? Do I want to focus on theater? Do I want to focus on music? And I think it was my senior year. I just decided to go all in on music. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was what was your first instrument? It was piano. It was when yeah. I was six, and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Hated okay. it. It wasn't. It, again, I associate the. P- I still play. I I teach yeah. some piano, yeah. um, but I associate piano a very strict classical, sight reading, academic kind of thing. And once I was able to make piano my own um, and kind of develop a new relationship to it, I liked it again. But I, again, like I'm, I can sight read. I'm not great at it. Mm. Uh, but I've never been like a classical technical, like by the let me read this note and play it type yeah. of player. Yeah. So actually about three years ago, I did an album, a pop-up album where I, I'm playing piano and there's a string quartet behind me. Uh, it's hard to find, but it's it's called Return and it's only on Bandcamp and it's live. So I really pushed myself to just get my piano chops back to being yeah. be- okay. And that was, that was a healing record for me because it actually kind of healed the relationship that I have to the piano. Wow. And what so do you, and when you say relationship with the piano, do you just mean like being pushed in a class, like forced to play page three as a kid kind of thing? Yeah. And I I never fell in love with it like I did with all my stringed instruments. Like it never I mean, it came natural to me in a way, but it wasn't my favorite. I wasn't drawn to it. And then I kind of had to get back to it and go, oh, I guess, you know, I can I can actually. I can feel more comfortable at the piano now um, as opposed to when I was a kid. I think I had some weird trauma thinking I wasn't good enough when I was a kid as a piano player. Yeah. 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 And so pushing yourself to do this album with just a live album. So was it, I mean, was it one take on everything? One take, one take. We practiced for about six months and we did a video as well. So it was, we shot the video and recorded the record in one fell swoop. Um, you wow. can see it online if you look up Abby Posner um, featuring the queer tet because they okay. were all queer uh, <laughs> string players. Awesome. <laughs> it's, but, so there was like weekly rehearsals and stuff. You guys didn't just it wasn't. Uh, I mean, did you score their parts or we did? It was a mixture of the, all of us sitting down together and arranging the strings. Um, mm. They they were phenomenal all of them at at arrangements so I kind of wanted to let relinquish my control and let them do their thing but I would definitely chime in and be like hey that that like nine chord that you're playing is not not working you know like I would hear things that they would do where it would fly or it wouldn't but I kind of let them you know do the initial arrangements that's really cool um that the string quartet thing and I'll have to check that out I definitely will check that out and maybe I'll I can put a link to in the show notes. Sure, um, yeah. It's one of those like weird underground pop-up albums that, that I never really pr- got around to promoting. I, I, w- I should release it on Spotify soon. 
just because yeah. it's, it's only available on Bandcamp. People don't really know about it. So, and I kind of like that. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like my little basement album. <laughs> yeah, the the true fans know about that album. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after graduating high school, uh, you went straight to Cal Arts, correct? Yes. Yep, I did. Okay, and is that out in LA? It is. It's in Santa Clarita, so it's about uh, maybe an hour an hour from LA. Yeah, it's okay. in a really weird place um, called Valencia, and it's uh, very suburban. You would never expect an art school to be there. As a matter of fact, um, Tim Burton went to Cal Arts, and okay. he made Edward Scissorhands that movie. At kind of after Cal Arts because it's like the artist on the hill with yeah. all the decorated sheds, suburban moms living at the bottom of the hill is exactly what Cal Arts. Really? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. great. And I found out later that that was like what he modeled it after. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what was your What was your attraction to that place? Did you Did you want to go out to California in general? I always loved California. Um, I always loved the Bay Area, actually. I really wish that Cal Arts was in the Bay Area. I would probably be living there today. Yeah. Um, and I, I went, I got into Berkeley School of Music. Um, I almost went. I actually found out I got into Berkeley before Cal Arts. At that time, it was much easier to get into Berkeley than Cal Arts. And uh, I was pretty set on just going to Berkeley because I, mm. I was like, oh, I'm not going to get into CalArts. And when I got the acceptance um, letter, I was I was really happy because it's a smaller school. And it's also a school where you can collaborate with different people in different programs, you know, mm. like dancers and filmmakers and animators, um, actors like I did a few different um, scores for some of the filmmakers at, at Cal Arts after I graduated, which kind of got me into the film scoring world a bit. Um, those yeah. relationships were really important. And so that was after graduating, first starting to get into that. Is that what you majored in then, too? No, I was in a <laughs> I think my whole education has just been like. It was do whatever you want. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little of this. Now that I'm that. reflecting on that, I'm like, did I really have an education? What the hell? Yeah. Um, no, Cal Arts had this really great program that was just perfect for me, where you get to basically trot all over the music program and kind of take every single class you want. Like, so I did composition. I because I'm a real non. I'm like a non-monogamist um, instrumental player. Like I love to play everything. Yeah. And uh, so I got to take like jazz with Larry Koons and I got to take Macedonian guitar with uh, Miroslav and I got to do tabla and um, Latin percussion was one of my favorite classes I took at Cal Arts. I did that for four years and it made me the a way better player in everything I do. Latin yeah. percussion. I did like a lot of timbales and um, congas. It's just like insane what it does to your brain. So that was my favorite class, actually, I think. And then, yeah, composition, African music, um, kind of everything. Yeah. <laughs> I And there, at that point, I was like one of the few songwriters at CalArts. They're really it was like a very experimental school. Yeah. And uh, I and now I go back to teach like songwriting and business for Cal Arts like twice a year because they have a whole lot more songwriters there and yeah. Um, but I was kind of like a weird pioneer of like, and I play folk pop music and everyone was like, ooh, gross. Yeah. <laughs> 
But now they, they're like, what do we do with all these pop musicians coming into CalArts? So I've kind of helped them a bit with that. Yeah. So they call on you to, to help out with, like, lesson plans and stuff? Or, or you just guest lecture a couple times a year? I'll guest lecture through their, mm. their business. They have, like, a music business class um, that they teach. And then I'll be kind of like their guest songwriter. Um, yeah. And they have talked to me a little bit. Like, we've emailed on the side. Like, how do we? And I've done songwriting interims and stuff. Um, I think that they may have developed a program I never really wanted to teach at the college level. It's not my my like priority, so I yeah. never I never really tried to do that. Um, but it's it's cool to see how CalArts has evolved. Yeah, well, it sounds like you got a college job if you want one. I don't have my master's, so oh, okay, I don't okay. think I could actually. I think that being being CalArts, they might hire me, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I don't I don't know. It's not something I've. I've ever really wanted to do is go back and get my master's and teach at a college level. Totally respectful job. I'm yeah, not yeah. dissing it at all. I just have a lot of other things that I'm focusing on. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about ta- as you're ta- talking about taking all these classes. Excuse me. Um, and the fact that your singer songwriter stuff is is you know folk pop, but a lot of other things too. You kind of have a, a melting pot of of different genres, and it reflects in your music. Did you ever go through any specific phases that were maybe in a really weird direction where all you listened to was Latin percussion for six months or something like that? That's such a good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. Um, Yeah, I think I do go through a lot of phases musically. I mean, I love to listen to everything. I love salsa music. Um, I just think it's it makes me so happy. I, I definitely listen to it on and off, but not in like a... Like, I'm going to sit down and listen to this salsa song and, like, really write a piece that's a Latin percussion-based piece. Yeah. I I do get into... I've been writing for Sync, and um, if people don't know what Sync is, it's, like, um, really specifically for film and TV placements, yeah. which is different than film scoring. And I, I've been writing, like, a lot of really serious pop songs. So some of the stuff that you would hear, you would be like, that's not you. I don't believe that that's you. And I've been producing and mixing and, like, singing really, like, I did a fashion piece recently that is, like, so, so not me, but really fun to kind of, It's almost yeah. like I'm in drag when I'm yeah. writing for sync. It's like I, I get to put on, like, a mini skirt once a year and put on makeup. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So on your stuff, like your new album that came out in November, Kisby Ring, is that is that a totally different world then from, I mean, are you writing those with sync in mind at all? Or is that a separate, hey, this is my artist project? That's another, yeah, great, great questions. Um, so I always, since I started writing for sync really seriously uh, a few years ago, I'm always thinking what can be placed but also what is authentic yeah. when I'm writing for my artist stuff. Um, yeah. And Kisby Ring is very much me, 100%, very much the style that I am comfortable with. I played everything on the record, mixed, produced it. Um, and then there are songs on there that I do believe are very placeable. Um, but that wasn't, that's in the back of my mind, but as I'm writing it, I'm doing it from my heart, right? Like, yeah. It's not from the head, which is mostly where I'm writing from when I'm doing sync stuff. And does that ever get, has that ever gotten mixed up in your head before? 
um, yeah. what am I writing yeah. for? And yeah, and I I have to like step back from writing for Sync sometimes. I have some co-writers that I like some teams that I write with every now and then, and I do these workshops every couple times a year where we actually pitch to music supervisors. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I have to like it's a lot, and I have to step back from that because sometimes I feel like. Oof, am I this is it's like winning the lottery. It's a lot of work and you don't know if you're going to get a placement. Um and it's a lot of energy. So I I just have to like return back to myself uh to to go, okay, well what what's the more authentic thing? Like music has always been journaling for me and like therapy to me. Yeah. Um and and I just need to do that to heal. So sometimes the sync stuff is really good, but I'm pretty compartmentalized about it, honestly. You're able to say I'm creative today in my artist way and I'm writing yes. I'm trying to write a hit song tomorrow. Yes, and I have I sometimes will write to briefs that are released from music supervisors that we're able to get and I'll be like, Okay, cool, I'm gonna like make this my day, right? To just like yeah. focus on whatever song the sound alike is and um and that'll be fun for me. Like I enjoy it, but it's something I can do every now and then not not all the time yeah sure sure and do you have a specific um goal in general with your music like if you could if you could have anything you wanted is it is it filling up certain cap rooms around the country playing your music is it having a big hit song in a in a score or or scoring a huge film I mean is there is there one thing that you're in the music biz for I think the main thing that I want to do, the the goal that I have is to be on a really great tour with a, a big band um, and having, uh, I mean, you know, it, as you get older, it's really hard to like schlep all your gear out of your car. I'm still down to do that because that's part of the work. But I think ideally it would be so nice to just walk on a big stage, open for one of my favorite groups and have all my stuff set up and uh, play yeah. and tour and like and write write records and you know g move the needle forward get more of a following. Um, of course, I think it goes hand in hand. I'd love to have a song um, that is like in a huge movie that's that's actually a song that's placed, mm. um, as well as touring and and just continuing to write. Um, yeah, this the film scoring thing is kind of a separate thing that I've done. And it's super fun and and kind of just another th another like thing that I'm working on. But it's yeah. it's not my like goal goal to to be scoring for films. It's something that I like to do on the side. And now there are so many people I I imagine in L. A. and everywhere that their main thing is scoring films. That's what they do, sun up to sundown. Definitely. Is yes. it hard? to compete with those people, not necessarily on a musical level, but just on a business level where they're focusing on that all oh, the time. Is it harder to get work? A hundred percent. And and that's kind of why, you know, my main focus is my songwriting and my um, performing. My second focus is film scoring um, mm. because I'm not actively going to assist Hans Zimmer and go start because that's kind of what you do you, you assist a famous composer yeah you do that for a few years um, you kind of build your way up and then maybe you start to score on your own but it's it's a it's kind of like a 
the thing I can compare it to is being a PA on set and like assisting, you know, production. And then yeah. maybe if you're lucky, you you move on to be a, in the writers' room. Yeah. But it's it's not the it's not the thing that I love. However, it has been so much fun, and some of the films that I've actually gotten to work on are just. I mean, this last one is is just phenomenal it's called ladybuds and yeah. um i'm really honored that i was able to work on it because it uh it it came out beautifully the director's a friend of mine um and i'm always open i'm always open to scoring but it's not something yeah i'm actively pursuing yeah and when ladybuds uh to jump over to that for a second i watched the trailer mm-hmm. um and I love at the beginning, there's these two ladies, they like say it in unison, like ladybugs, oh. that was pretty good. Um, but there's, you know, there's music going on in the trailer. I think it was piano and strings, I believe, if I'm remembering yes. correctly. Just to be clear, that is not my music, the trailer music. That's yeah. what I was going to ask. I know a lot yeah. of times they use different music for the trailer. Totally, totally different. Yeah. But okay. the there's also needle drops throughout the film that is like, you know, needle drops meaning you pay for a track yeah. kind of like writing for sync yep um that's a licensing thing and then there's also sorry about the lo- loud sounds above me um oh, there's know. also a um yeah so there's scores throughout the whole thing as well yeah and how long did that take you start to finish to complete so I, we started, me and the director started kind of doing some scratch tracks just to see like, well, what kind of style do we want to do? What kind of, um, do, what kind of genre do we want to work with? And that was, that was like, honestly, like November, December. And then we took a break January, February, and then got right back into it in March of 2020, which was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And that is unusual. You know, I I think I was able to be more flexible because this is one of my close friends that's the directors. Uh, Usually when you're scoring a film, it takes about six weeks. Um, This one definitely took kind of over the course of a few months on and off. And once I started in in March, I think I finished at the end of April. So like the real the real deal, it was probably about like two months and how many minutes how many minutes of music did you compose and is that a typical amount for a film of that length gosh i did a, i don't know how many minutes total cuz there are so many cues that's interesting though um i did about 18 cues throughout the film and meaning okay. like sometimes it would be like 4 minutes sometimes it would be 1 yeah sometimes it would be 10 like it just depending on the the you know it's in and out but i'd say 18 right. total and are some of those uh looped you know if a 10 minute one do you have some loops going on or is it always going somewhere different I, there are never any repeats but there are embellishments of themes and that's yeah. that's like a really big kind of thing in film scoring and just in general is like you have an idea of a theme and and like a vibe and then you flip it on its head whether it's like using inversions of that same theme or whether it's um, changing the key and rhythm but the same theme exactly yeah uh, so that that's just that's kind of what I did throughout there's this one theme that you hear pretty much constantly like on and off that starts really 
slow and then it has this kind of anxiety to it and yeah mm. so you'll hear some of the some of the themes played in different ways and musically how was it challenging for you it being covid i mean did you did you do everything at home on your own or did you have to outsource some stuff have people send tracks and things like that yeah, it was everything on my own. Uh, it was right at the beginning of COVID, and okay. we were not see- there was no seeing anybody. So um, we were, and, and I was being very safe because I have like little tiny unvaccinated people in my life, and at that point there was no vaccination. Mm. So I have like children that I wanted to keep safe, and um, I had pregnant friends, and you know it was like yeah. I just needed to really be careful, um, and so I. So we did it all remote. Like, I would send out my wave files to the string players, and they would either trace it or I would score it and send the MIDI files to them as well. So they would, uh, my string, uh, Jesse Olima, who played violin, is just incredible. He's able to like trace things without really needing much of a score. And my cellist is also phenomenal, but they needed, um, they needed a little bit more of like a traditional rhythm score. It was a little bit less of like, I'm going to just trace this, you know, like they needed MIDI files and I, I had never really exported MIDI before. And it was just, uh, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then right from Ladybuds, right from scoring Ladybuds, I started to record Kisby Ring, my, my own record. So it mm. was... And that was actually really healing because I wasn't working with anyone. I wasn't needing anyone to come in. I was just doing it all on my own. Yeah. Um, and so some of the things on Ladybuds I was able to do on my own as well. But it's nice having like your home studio set up and ready to go. And do you typically, when you send stuff out to string players in, in a non-COVID time, would you get together with all the string players at once and mic them all together in a room? Yeah. So, and in this in this case, I was I was only working with violin and cello, and then they were duplicating themselves to make it sound like an orchestra. So, mm-hmm. what I would have done is have them in one room, um, and then I would have had them track again and again and again, and adding the harmonies that I heard. But I, but they would definitely be in the same room with like overhead mics, and I would yeah. be kind of conducting them through it. Well, I bet that was a neat experience. Get you know, <laughs> I mean, it probably hard but but you know totally it was it was really I I learned a lot I still have so much to learn um but it was one of those things that the director and I talk about in our Q&A's we just went to Denver for the Denver Film Fest and um we did a QA and a there actually and uh I wish I had known you then but I could have invited you out but uh we talk about that how it was like doing this film in quarantine was so challenging yeah. 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 Um, I I can't imagine. Well, I'm excited. Is When is the film out everywhere? Is, is it out everywhere? It's out everywhere. There's like specific places that it has a theatrical release. So there's, I think it's, it's here. I think it's mostly the Pacific Northwest. Okay. I'll have to see. It was in Denver for like a week. Yeah. Um, but you can watch it on Amazon. You can watch it on iTunes. Um, all the streaming except Netflix because it's its own thing. But yeah, Amazon Prime, um, it's available. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Well, I'll put a link. Uh, I'll link that as well cool. in the show notes. And then you were you were just talking about recording uh, Kisby Ring 
on your own at home. How is that? How is that process? I mean, are you, were you disciplined in a way where you said, okay, for the next 14 days, I'm starting at 9 a.m. and I'm going to 5 p.m. working on my record? Or were you kind of coming back to it and doing other things? It was more organic. I actually wasn't quite sure that I was going to do an album until um, maybe the fall of 2020 um, is when I started to go, okay, I've, I've got all these songs. There's like maybe four that I had already written. I started to pull together a theme and think, oh, okay, I see that there's this theme of like urgency and needing, needing help and needing rescuing in some way. And so that's where Kisby Ring came from. Um, there's a fella with the last name Kisby that invented the lifesaver. And mm. so it's just a fancier way of saying lifesaver, essentially. So, um, And I like those little things where you kind of have to look it up and you're like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that I started to kind of, I had these few songs and then I went kind of off of that. But it, it naturally came about because when you're writing during a pandemic, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that can I curse? Yeah. Say whatever. <laughs> there's you... a lot of shit that comes up, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was songs about depression on the record, songs about um, racial injustice, songs about um, kind of my existential crisis about being a parent songs yeah. about um i mean it just goes on and on my career there's like the urgency of a career needing to get picked up and so the theme started it was just the umbrella and then all the songs kind of came organically yeah and when at what point did you know it was going to be a record all the a collection of songs i think it was about like the fall of of 2020 yeah okay. i think that's when it was so I live underneath, I, I have an amazing space, but it's very loud. I don't know if you can hear that. That's I, no, the, not at all. Okay, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Is that the neighbor I, There's upstairs? a vacuum. It's like when the cleaning lady comes above above me, Yeah. Uh, it, it's you just hear it all. But the great thing is, is that I'm able to make as much sound as I want. They're fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to deal with the vacuum every once in a while. And I love, they're great. It's it's a cool little spot I've got here. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. No, I don't hear it at all. You've got... That's great. It's just, uh, yeah, the, the condenser mic is keeping it away. Yeah, yes. Um, and do you have, I mean, do you have a favorite song on the record? I know you did uh, three singles from it. Um, Wishing Well in October, Low, Low, Low in September, and then um, Digging Corners was in February, I think. Yeah, so Digging Corners actually came first. Um, way before the album was released and then I did another Digging Corners that's just on the record that wasn't okay. released as a single. So there's actually three Digging Corners. Um, there's a dance version, there's an indie version, and then there's the version on Kisby Ring. Yeah. But the three singles that I released, uh, yeah, was Emergency Use Only, um, Low, 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 and uh, Wishing Well. I'd say my favorite song is um, the Trilogy. That's That's my favorite because it's all about acceptance and you know things may feel overwhelming and um, you may get kind of in your head but you know the, it's the line is what if what if it's all working out what if what if like even these challenges that we're facing um, are really leading us to the place that we need to be yeah yeah wow um, and what's or what are you doing promotion wise and how is it different than um, 
how's it different than it, it would have been if this came out two or three years ago? I actually decided for like really the first time in my life that um, I was going to take all the money that I was earning and like really invest it in myself. Yeah. Um, which is really a scary thing to do. Um, but I actually got a bunch of PR people that I really like. I have some people in the, the UK that I work with that's been getting a lot of reviews and radio plays over there. Mm. And then I worked with a publicist here in the US who I loved and uh, got me a lot of kind of, you know, like bluegrass situation released um, low, 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 and just like some cool online presence. And then I invested a bit in, in like Spotify playlisting um yeah because nowadays that's what that's what you have to do <laughs> yeah right um and i i invested in like i worked with an amazing artist that i love who did all the t-shirts and hats um for my album i am working with an assistant like you know meeting uh louise and bruce who are my booking agents that happened during the pandemic yeah um so i actually feel like there was some really good things that happened because of the pandemic i don't know that i would have been able to get in touch with some of the publicists had it not been for this time um i don't know if bruce and louise would have been able to work with me like there was just a lot of kind of good things that came out of it and i and i was able to really invest in myself in a way that felt like self-care honestly like we all have to invest in our art uh, you can't really sit there and expect that something's going to happen overnight without mm. putting a little bit of money into it it's just yeah. the way it is right now yeah yeah absolutely and it, you mentioned uh, Luis and Bruce and we met we met through them when I was on the road this summer I met I had been chatting with Luis on the phone um, a little bit and when I was in Asheville I gave her a call and I ended up sleeping on their floor last night or that night not last night last night I stayed here <laughs> that oh my night. god how did you do that you're in Denver now oh. that's <laughs> wow took a quick flight that's but... a quick overnight there um yeah, they're amazing. Oh my gosh, they're just like um, real mom and pop uh, booking agents, and and that's kind of the way I like it is to feel like family in in who I'm working with, and mm. um, they really focus on folk and Americana, and um, I I feel really grateful for them. You know, I I've had several Folk Alliance showcases. Um, I'm actually playing the the Folk International um, conference in Kansas City as a showcasing artist in February. Yeah. And um, I really feel like with with their help, it's been it's been a, a beautiful connection to kind of get deeper into the Folk Alliance community and um, more of the Americana. They're really immersed in the Americana world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so what does your team look like now? Um, you've got so do you're you have looking like, at you're looking at her. <laughs> I'm looking at her. No, but I, you've got you've got booking. Do you have somebody that does radio promo? Do you have someone who does a specific PR, specific Spotify person? I mean, I did have that? all of that, and that lasts, you know, a certain amount of time. You, yeah. When you when you hire a publicist, you you hire them for a certain chunk of usually a few months. Right. Um, my run, my campaign is done with my U.S. publicist. Um, she's awesome, and honestly, it's still a lot of stuff is happening with the radio plays all over the UK that my PR people keep sending me and reviews mm. over there. And then my my assistant sent out like, I don't know, a hundred and some packages to radio, you know, Americana stations all over the US and there's plays placements and 
radio plays happening all over, which is great. Um, got a shout out to Kansas Public Radio. They have been spinning my stuff like nonstop. And uh, Chicago uh, has been playing me. And, you know, it's just it's cool. Some places in Vegas, like kind of all over the U.S., there's some some spins happening. But yeah. right now the team is really um, my booking agents, myself. And then I just signed with an agency here in L.A. Um, doing like on like on screen stuff as a musician so like mm-hmm. you know if you see a geico commercial and someone's like playing drums in the background um that that kind of agency sending yeah. me out for auditions i just signed with a really lovely agency here and i'm getting auditions and stuff now so a lot of a lot of uh a lot of different things happening <laughs> well and you've done uh you've you've been the the musician on screen before right and in, in yeah. famous in love and a couple times on glee Uh uh-huh yeah i was i love being on set um it's just magical there's something like it's a whole different world um and you get to know amazing people in the crew you get to see how this magical world is created and you're only a tiny tiny little piece of sand that has something to do with it you know like you're you're just a tiny little part of the this wheel that is spinning in the tv shows um and it's just it's just so fun to watch how it's all made you know um But yeah, I'm really hoping to, to to book some cool stuff this year and maybe get some commercials. You know, I'm just getting some auditions now, and um, it's it's just cool. the The agency uh, that I signed with is is great. It's called um, Daniel Hoff, and uh, they have like a music department that they send you out for music stuff. <laughs> so, and when they send you out for an audition, I mean, are they sending you out to? Um, see how you play the part or is it do you look the part I mean how does that work with being on screen yeah so nowadays there the auditions are mostly happening on video uh, auditions so you have to really know how to edit things and have like a iMovie thing set up and um, yeah I mean they they submit you like to certain casting things and then if you're a good fit then they'll they'll offer a, an audition but otherwise it's you know even to get an audition can be challenging um yeah. but my agents basically are submitting me when they see oh there's like looking for queer guitar players or like um looking for you know drummers in their 30s or like whatever looking for yeah. any ethnicity any you know it's just they, they they are looking on the casting networks and submitting their clients yeah, and that must be different that it's a very visual based, right? Mm-hmm. You you got signed, they know you can play. They they know you can play the part, but it's yeah. do you fit the part? Yeah, and I think they're really specific about looks, right? So like headshots and like what kind of, you know, like I'm a androgynous female with tattoos and there are some parts that are like really wanting that right yeah um i would not be submitted for although i have been submitted for some some unusual roles that are like i don't you don't respond to them if if it doesn't fit you yeah but like i wouldn't really be some like long blonde hair um mother of five that lives in the city you know like (laughs) yeah 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 wouldn't be me (laughs) yeah sure so they are looking for like what what do you look like what you know what instrument do i play like they know all all of those things as well how did the how did the glee uh opportunity come about 
That was actually through a, a musician friend that, that was on the show as a regular. Um, he, the casting person who does like a lot of music stuff in L.A., was uh, looking for guitar players and banjo players for se- se- separate episodes. And, um, you know, I had to just like, again, send headshots and how old and how tall and um, show that I can play. And I got, I got it and talked to her. And then I got some other gigs through her, like the Famous in Love thing was through her as well. And then I also got to be on... Um, I should probably put this on my resume at the uh, Fresh Off the Boat, that show. I was a mandolin, um, like, tech person, so I was on set helping this person play mandolin. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I should probably add that. That was fun. That That's was a funny great. day because I wasn't on screen, but I was, like, with the crew, and then I'd come in and I'd, I'd help the actor and be like, no, 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 why don't you hold it like this and da-da-da, you know. <laughs> that's crazy well you wonder sometimes when you hear an actor play a part like do, are they really playing that or do they they're usually like um kind of lip sync playing but like i showed them where to press down on the fret so that it looked like they're playing because yeah. i think they were playing along to like a line and i you know you, you have to fake it too because a lot of them some of them play some of them actually play the actors, but uh, this one had, I don't think, ever picked up a mandolin. <laughs> Didn't look like it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, so, yeah, I, I really got like four gigs from this person that um, is the casting kind of music mm. person, like in TV. Yeah. Wow. That you're, you're, uh, I, I didn't even think about some of these things as, Jobs. I mean, obviously they have musicians on screen, but that's it's an interesting. Uh, you don't get those gigs in Denver. Um, yeah, that's kind of why I. I mean, I've I've stayed in LA for lots of reasons, but um, the opportunities that I've had, you know, uh, have come out of being in this industry, this showbiz industry. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have gotten seen or noticed if I was living in Denver in the same way and had the option to like be doing these auditions. Um, it it's definitely a Hollywood land here, and um, you you are in touch with specific, you rub shoulders with specific people. And that's not the reason I'm here. I really love the weather. I really love, I live two blocks from the beach. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I feel really at home here, but at the same time, I've made some lovely, authentic, met some authentic people in Hollywood, man. I mean, you'd never guess. It's There's some really wonderful people here. Yeah, and, and now was that intimidating when you first showed up that there's so much? In, you know, industry people. I mean, was it just, hey, everybody, you know, is in the business, in the showbiz. This is great. Or was there, oh, my gosh, everyone's in the showbiz. It was actually really nice because um, I've like I teach music. I teach private lessons uh, to make it a little bit of an income as well as doing the odd job, you know, thing here and there, film scoring and playing and writing. Yeah. Um, so I was able to kind of make my schedule a little bit more flexible where I could have a few students here, a few students there, and then have a really free schedule where I can be available for touring, be available for auditions. And that's like the majority of people in, in LA. Mm. They have a lot of time, um, but they're also working at their craft 
with the time that they have and being surrounded by other artists um, made me feel even more at home. It was not intimidating. It was like you'd go out to lunch and you'd hear so-and-so talking about the screenplay they're writing or you'd, you'd hear uh, so at the table next to you, someone's talking about the drum session that they just had. And like, it just makes you feel, it, it honestly makes me feel like I'm in a bigger uh, CalArts. Cause like when I was at CalArts, it was just creativity happening all the time. And here in LA, it's that same feeling. It's just way more spread out. So mm. everybody is kind of immersed in sh in showbiz here, whether it's like improv or uh, comp. Like I ha I'm gonna go see my friend do stand up comedy on Sunday. Cool. Um, you know, we all we're all kind of living this creative life, and that's um that's the lifestyle I've always wanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. I wanted to talk a little bit about your different instruments because mm -hmm. I, you know, I know you play a lot of different things. Um, you've got you've got some videos where you're playing banjo, and this might be uh, this might be a dumb thing to say or inquire about, but I feel like your banjo has an extra big Joe, <laughs> you know, body. <laughs> <laughs> an extra big Joe. We're gonna call the body Joe <laughs> in the in the neck band. <laughs> yeah, my Joe is pretty big. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I have three. I have three banjos. Uh, one of which I don't play live very much, but it's a cello banjo that actually has a major major big Joe. The one that I that I have here. Oh, this is Henry. Okay. Okay. Henry. Henry. I was not yeah. Joe Henry. Yeah, so I mean it's a pretty average size. I'd say yeah, this is what this is what you you see. You know, like I got this guy at a pawn shop for 200 bucks and uh it's my favorite banjo that I own. Um it's kind of like a Frankenstein banjo. I know that people that are listening to the podcast can't see it, but it's yeah. made with various banjo parts. Uh. So, um yeah, no, I I uh I think it's a pretty average <laughs> I think it's a pretty average size. Was there, but, so, <laughs> I thought there was one on a YouTube video or a couple where the the body the body was was large, and I wondered if that was even a different in a different instrument. A, a... Oh gosh, if you were watching a YouTube, you might have seen my cello banjo. There's one song okay. that I did not release or do anything with, but I just did this video, um, and that was the the cello banjo. Yeah. What was that song called? Oh God. Monsters or something. I think that was I it. Never did anything with that song, like okay. at all. Uh, that was it. Yeah, low, really low banjo sound. Yeah, maybe. It, yeah, yes, it sounded lower. And is that is it tuned the same way? It is. It's just a, a, an octave down. Yeah. Okay. So it's like you've got an open G chord, and then the cello banjo um, is uh, yeah, like a bass essentially, an octave down. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and what influenced you on banjo mandolin? Did you go through a, a big bluegrass phase or, I mean, who were you influenced by? Yeah, so uh, during CalArts, there were like little pockets of people that played bluegrass. Um, there was a banjo player at the time at CalArts. I had started to play a little bit at CalArts, but not much. Um, mostly at that point, I was playing guitar, bass, drums, keys, um, and like percussion. And so I, I picked up mandolin and banjo at CalArts um, mm. and was just starting to get into bluegrass then. I was in a bluegrass band for a while called Fiddle and Pine. 
um, that kind of stemmed from another project that I had. But I, I got really into like, you know, that fast flat picking um, like Bill Monroe and um, Doc Watson and like a lot of the old the old cats. Um, and then I started to listen to more of the modern bluegrass stuff and realizing like, oh, like Bela Fleck, who who can kind of incorporate jazz and funk fusion and like bluegrass together like a wizard man and uh i was i was really influenced by him and his wife abigail washburn that's actually why um my uh my partner gave me the cello banjo as a gift um over the holidays because abigail washburn plays the the cello banjo so i'm more drawn to like bluegrass kind of married to different genres like bluegrass pop bluegrass um jazz it's like i love bela fleck and what he's able to do in this new guy this new kid i can actually say he's a kid billy strings yes crushing it right now and like he does a lot of traditional stuff but he he definitely marries in some like rock and like he's kind of like punk a bit you know he's like punk bluegrass which is super cool yeah yeah, he mixes in a lot of different genres in shreds. Um, yeah, he's a good he's a good picker for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any? Is I mean, is there any other instruments you want to pick up or that you've started on but you don't feel proficient enough on yet to be writing on? I really wish that I played cello. Yeah. Um, I I've always thought about maybe getting like a little kind of affordable cello and just I can fake it, um, kind of, but. I, I also feel like I'd rather spend my time really focusing on like getting better at you know the instruments that I already play because there's never an end you're always getting better it doesn't matter if you're at this level or, or down here like it doesn't matter if you're intermediate or pro you're all there's always room to get better so I, I haven't actually invested my time in in that but I also really wish I I used to play French horn when I was in fourth grade i really wish i played trumpet um trombone i think if i played trombone and and cello that would be amazing um but again the time that it takes to really master something is it's a tricky tricky thing (laughs) well and i i love the sound of uh of the french horn but i i remember when we all started playing in band in fifth or sixth grade or whatever there was a ton of trumpet players. I played sax. There was a ton of trumpet players. And then, like, two people picked up the French horn, and everyone was like, what What are you doing with that thing? And they're like, oh, my mom said this would get me a college scholarship or something. <laughs> you know? I only played because there wasn't any – There, all the instruments were taken. Yeah. And I really wanted to be in the ensemble. And, uh, like, all you know, my friends were playing clarinet and flute. And, like, I really wanted to play guitar. And it was, like, an orchestra, so I couldn't. Um, so they're like, well, we do have one instrument left. And that is the French horn. <laughs> it's Sign always, like, last to be picked on a team. Like, yeah. if you can imagine all the instruments lining up, like, pick me. The, the French horn's always... <laughs> last yeah that's great that's great what's next for you in in the coming months i'm really excited to go to the folk alliance international um we're baker booking's gonna be there it's just a really amazing opportunity for meeting new people and networking and 
um, hoping that we can make some good connections there. I'm so, so excited to showcase there. Um, I've never been a showcase artist there before. And, uh, and then I've got some some festivals uh, in Seattle and some shows in Seattle that I'm playing in the spring. Uh, another festival kind of up north of, of California that I'm playing. And um, so things are starting to book up a bit for, for the new year. And uh, I don't have plans to do a new record, but I am, I'm going to be releasing some of the, the sync stuff, some of the pop stuff that I've been writing. I'm, I'm actually planning on getting um, a remix of one of my songs, uh, Wishing Well, is going to mm. be coming out with my collaborator and dear friend, um, Will uh, Carpenter is going to be uh, featured on that. He's he's from an amazing band called Ships Have Sailed, mm. and uh, we're releasing that soon. A music video is coming out. Really great director I worked with. Um, that'll be out in the new year. Some some pop stuff and some tours. Yeah. Yeah. When you release your pop stuff, is that going to be under your name? Or are you going to? Yes. I've decided I want to just kind of fuck with the algorithms on Spotify and just make everybody confused. Like, wait, I thought she did folk. I don't understand. And then I'm going to release like some very serious like pop dance stuff and people are going to go, what the hell is this? Yeah. Um, and I liked I like that. Like I like the term genre fluid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's what I want to just continue to do. So. The film score will come out in the new year. The pop stuff will come out in the new year. Um, some remixes and um, hopefully, you know, I will start writing another record or just doing singles. I think now is the singles time. It's like people are really dropping like a lot of cool single songs. So I, I mm. might actually continue to just write single songs and release them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And that's really cool that you'll have uh, this score. Um out on out on Spotify as well. Is that your first score that'll be under your artist name on Spotify? Yeah, there was a a, a song that was in a film um, several years ago. That's uh, that's a part of a soundtrack yeah. called "The King and She" that I did, but nothing like a full score. You know, um, I've not had that released yet, and I'm probably going to be self-releasing that um, unless it goes through the the sales distributor. But I think I'll probably just be putting that out. Um, yeah. Because it is, it's it is a fun body of work. Really different. I think it. I've always just wanted to go. Okay, I'm going to release this Americana folk thing. I'm going to release this orchestrated, moody score, and then some real dancey, poppy stuff, and um, so that people can see what what I can do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I feel like you're kind of the model of this generation of of artists that we're in right now, because you have so many different um you you have you're dipped into so many different things and um and you're established in so many different things and that's really cool i think to you know you're teaching you're scoring films you're doing your solo stuff and um writing for singing, all kinds of all kinds of stuff i think that's really cool thank you i feel so removed it's so interesting i just ran into my friend down the street who's another musician friend of mine um we both are like in our upper 30s we both feel a bit removed from this thing that's happening right now that's like this TikTok, spotify yeah. streaming artists that's like making it so big just because they are social media folks and i i just don't feel like i can relate to that not because there's anything wrong with it i hats off to these these kids on TikTok, man 
Um, I just, it's interesting that you said that I, I'm like the generation of what's happening right now because I feel so out. I'm, I feel like I'm still living in this, like, I'm going to cut up my my artwork for my CD and like put it together and like have this yeah. handmade experience. Like I still feel like I'm living in this like analog time. Yeah. Um, the streaming is like in the Instagram. It's like, I'm really doing my best with the social media thing, but thank you for saying that. I, <laughs> I don't really feel like, like I'm that kind of musician, but I'm definitely trying my best to stay on top of it all. Well, and I suppose that's a different thing too. And we even talk about the the younger the younger kids coming up. I'm 30, um, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't, e- I don't even have TikTok. And um, I've heard yeah. some people say, "Oh, you gotta, you gotta get this." You gotta, and it seems like every six months, I have to get something else. And I'm it's trying tiring. not to be, yeah, I'm trying not to be old and stubborn, <laughs> you know. But I know, I know, I feel the same way. I'm like. I just had another podcast interview a couple weeks ago, so you got to get on TikTok. And I'm like, oh, my God. I tried TikTok. I did. Yeah. I just – I tried it for, like, two days. <laughs> yeah, you gave it a fair <laughs> shot. <laughs> it was an unfair shot. I'll say that. Yeah. Like, I should have given it longer. But I feel like if I'm going to do TikTok, I've got to put lots of energy into that. And right now – I'm trying to figure out where to focus, you know, like, is it the sync stuff? Is it the touring? Is it the, there's a lot of things that uh, yeah. can pull your energy in different directions, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> no, constantly battling with that. And everything's, you got to do this, you got to do that. And if you're not doing this, and is it okay to pick a few things? And, and Totally. Of those, course. I know? think it's great. I actually wish that I was a little bit less interested in all the things. I wish that yeah. I was like, nope, I am just a guitar player and singer. And like, I have friends like that, that are just like doing great things that are like, they play guitar, they sing, they're writing albums and that's it. But like, I've never been the type of person that can just settle on that, you know? Right. Right. No, absolutely. Well, before we part ways, would you mind uh, playing us a song? Totally. Yes. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> All right. I think I know what I'll play. I'll play a song from the record that I just put out, the record Kisby Ring. And this is the fourth single that I put out called Wishing Well. Um, since we're talking about careers and um, hustling and both of us being musicians, and like where to focus your energy this is actually kind of just about that and um the comparison on social media that we do wishing that we could have a different life yeah um so this is that i'm gonna turn on my reverb awesome oh we're getting professional sound i love it oh yeah you're gonna get a looping pedal too oh sweet all right here we go
Oh no, I was muted. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Uh, if you don't mind, stay on the line with me for one sec, but I'll, for I'll sure, press for and sure. record. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. That was awesome. Great conversation. Daddy Posner. Check the uh, show notes. You can see a link to her socials. You can see a link uh, to my Patreon, um, all that good stuff. But I appreciate you listening. Um, if you haven't caught the first two episodes of this season, uh, the first one was with Ordinary Elephant. It came out on December 9th. Uh, they were the 2017 International Folk Music Awards Artist of the Year. Um, and then uh, last week, or two weeks ago, depending on if we take a week off uh, for Christmas week, um, I did an episode with Dan Cable about Randy Newman's Good Old Boys, um, and it's it, it's on his podcast, Dan Cable Presents, too. Um, but we just talked about uh, this kind of controversial record that came out in the 70s by one of my favorite artists, Randy Newman. So fun analysis where we dig into the tracks. A little bit different than most of the episodes I do, but uh, a fun one to check out for sure. All right. I'll chat with you next week. I hope you had a great holiday or you're having a great holiday whenever this is and uh, ready to start off 2022 on a positive note. Talk to you later.